sometime uh, and not to say too much for, for instance uh, in chapter 53 verse 9 and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death now we know <clears throat> that a man named Joseph of Arimathea who scripture says was a rich man asked for the body of Jesus and laid him in his own tomb so we know this. And we know, or at least I know, that this seems to be a foretaste, a prophecy of a, an actual event that will occur during the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. The guy I'm reading, he's good. I mean, he's good. He's a, he's a believer. But on this particular verse, he, he said, we don't want to make the text say too much. <laughs> in other words he's hedging his bets um, now <clears throat> the Jewish rabbis of our day have their own special way of interpreting chapter 53 to read Jesus out of it of course is what they're basically trying to do but I have been watching uh, many many videos recently of Jews in Israel and other places who have come to faith in Christ. They don't read their Bibles, okay? They don't read their own Old Testament. They don't know. They don't know anything. And somebody will put Isaiah 53 before them and, and a Jew will say, what's Jesus doing in my Bible? They recognize it uh, as unbelievers on the way to faith. Uh, so... We've been talking about the servant of God here, and indeed, the servant of God is Israel sometime, but it becomes, for me, this is just too clear, I mean, in Isaiah 53, about talking about Christ. I don't think you have to be a Bible scholar to figure this out. I mean, all you have to do is just read it, you know. And let me say a word here for Bible reading that many of us have been talking with, and this includes myself, it includes Jim, uh, and probably maybe everybody in here, just continue reading the Bible. Just read the Bible. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Just read the Bible. And your life will begin to change for the better. That's been my experience and many other people I've talked with also. So the Bible contains its own power here, you know, just to read it. Well, that's in the way of introduction. So this is famous Isaiah 53. I would like to start... Uh, back in chapter 52, verse 13, uh, and uh, read those verses again and sort of get a running start into Isaiah 53. So this is Isaiah 52. I'd like to begin at verse thir 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted 
as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. And then he goes on, who has believed our report? And so forth. So in verse 13, um, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. Um, it seems to me here in verse 14, many were astonished at his appearance. He was marred beyond human semblance and so forth. So in this passage about being high and lifted up, it seems to me that he's talking about the cross here. He's high and lifted up from the earth on the cross. However, Isaiah doesn't always use it that way. So if someone, several of you could help me, if someone would look at uh, Nick, uh, Pastor Nick, Isaiah 6 verse 1, uh, Scott, Isaiah 33 verse 10, and Sierra, Isaiah 57 verse 15. If we would just read those verses. He's using the phrase high and lifted up, I think, in all of these again. Um, so, Pastor Nick, Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled with him. From memory. Thank you, Pastor Nick. Uh, so, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he explains what it is. I mean... You know, he sees him on his throne in this vision of glory. I mean, he's high and lifted up in glory. Is what, that's 6 1. Uh, 33 10. Scott? Now I will be on high, says Yahweh. Now I will be lifted up. Now I will be lifted up. Mm, uh, any, say anything in verse, the next verse? Does it give us any other information on that? Uh, you have conceived chaff. Okay. You give birth to stubble. Okay, well, that one's not so clear, but uh, again, it seems to me he's probably talking about glorification and life and glory and magnificence and so forth. I think that's not so clear. 57.15, Sierra. For thus has that one high and lifted up, who dwells forever, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with the crushed and lowly of spirit in order to receive, revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the crushed. All right. So these other high and lifted up are referring to the glory, the heavenly glory of God, really. So perhaps uh, here uh, we're going to see how it is that all the nations are going to exalt him, as he says in verse 13. My servant shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. So, okay, so how is he going to do it? How is God going to be, how is Yahweh, the one true God, going to be exalted among all the nations? And then verse 14, it begins, well, it's through his suffering. And so he talks as many were astonished at you. His appearance was marred beyond human semblance. His form beyond that of the children of men. And then verse 15, which we dealt with last week, so he shall sprinkle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which, is, which they have not heard they understand. So through this work being marred beyond human resemblance, 
Then in verse 15, he sprinkles many nations. I think I mentioned last week this word could also be translated startle. Sprinkles probably better. He'll startle many nations. I mean, what what kind of God is this? I mean, on the cross. I mean, beaten to a pulp. How is this? How is this man the Son of God? It's startling. I mean, not to us because we've heard the gospel all our lives, probably, but. For a person who's never heard it, it could be startling. It seems to go better with the next phrase. Who is believed on the poor? The king shall shut their mouths at him. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Do if they were startled. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Uh, all right. So that's just an intro then. So this is the way that this servant of Yahweh is going to be exalted among the nations. It starts off with his suffering. And though verses 14 and 15, suffering. Then chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed, I like King James better, who has believed our report? My version says, who has believed what they heard from us? Well, okay. But as usual, King James is more poetic. I mean, I like it that way. I mean, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So 53, 1, arm of the Lord again when we... The arm of the Lord, hand of the Lord, usually it refers to the saving power of God, that God can save. Is my arm short that I cannot save, says God? No. So it, this, this is the reference. Saving power of God. More literally, the first line could be, who has believed what we have heard? Uh, well, so uh, basically in verse 1, this salvation report is so amazing. Who can believe it? Um, Who do you think is the us in that question? Who has believed the report and to whom is from us? Who has believed our, what they heard from, from us. us? From our, from our, our yes, our message. It switched from my servants uh-huh. to hear from us. Uh, yes, very good. I. I think it possibly could be that whole college of prophets who are always reporting, you know. So who has believed this whole school of the prophets? It's a, it's a continuous message. You know? Could this be connected to Isaiah 6 where he says, uh, who shall go for us? Well, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, who shall go people, for us, yeah. Some go people ahead. interpret that as... Trinitarian. It sounds Trinitarian, yeah. yeah. It sounds Trinitarian. Well, well this, is, this is different. So yeah. I mean, I, I think we could explore both of those, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I like to think of the College of the Prophets. Uh, also, when we read things like Proverbs, I, I like to think of the College of Wise Men in the Middle East. Evidently, there was a school of these men uh, around Solomon, and they continued, I mean, after Solomon's death. It seems there were schools of these wise men in other countries beside Israel, and they perhaps knew each other and exchanged information. (laughs) So that, this may be hard to believe, and I may have the reference wrong here. I think it's Proverbs 27. I think so. Maybe I'm wrong. It's one of those chapters. We have about 16 verses in the book of Proverbs 
that are taken from a book called The Wisdom of Amenemope, who is an Egyptian wise man, not a Jew. What can we say about these things? Well, if you expound the book of Proverbs to a bunch of Muslims, they would probably say, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> right on. <laughs> it's wisdom, you know. It's wisdom literature. So there were these schools, I, I think, of these wise men around. Schools of the prophets, I think, probably also. I'm just truth, rambling. Yeah. Truth is truth. Truth is truth. No matter who says it. Truth is truth. Wise behavior is wise behavior, no matter who's doing it. Yeah, this is true. Yes. I have a question, and this actually kind of trails along with what you're saying here, uh, but for the Hebrew scholars in here, uh, how do we know that 53.1 are our questions? 53.1? Yeah, for the translators, how do we know those are questions? Since there were no question marks simple, in Hebrew. Not simple statements. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know anything about Hebrew verbs. You know, whether they're singular or plural. They have singular and plural sense, yeah. So, I mean, is, is there a key to knowing that it's a question? Other than the word who, and I mean, I have a Hebrew Bible at home. I mean, I could look it up, but I mean, I, I don't, I can't say just Well, right you know, these, as Connor pointed out a number of times, uh, this was all one long scroll. And 52 of 15 and 53 1 go together. You know, they're right in line with each other. And my, my thought is if these, if these are statements rather than questions, it would read So he shall sprinkle or startle many nations, kings that, that shall shut their mouths at him. For what they had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who have believed our report? Who have believed our report? To whom have the arms of the Lord have been revealed? In other words, it's more of a positive statement. Why is just a statement? Mm -hmm. and, and this is about the Gentile nations, that they are actually believing the report uh, while, while the Jewish nation is not. Well, I mean, yes, and... In a, in a future in a future sense, I mean that's really true. Where the Gentiles do come in, huh? You find something? Yeah, there's a Hebrew, I have a Hebrew. Go ahead. Thing, but it just says it's inter interrogative. Who? Who? Well, I mean there is a word for who in, in Hebrew. Yeah, but I mean, is there's another way to, to use it? Yeah. Could be. Yeah, could be. Uh, well. So I mean that's my question. But I do think those those two verses go together. Well, even in, even in English, somehow will There's come a day when there will come a day when these shall understand. Yeah, and these are the ones that are going to accept our report, not the Jewish. Yes, I would. I, I would. I think you've got a good point. I would still view it as a question, mainly because all of these Bible translators and all these English Bibles put it in as a question. Yeah, and these guys read Hebrew. <laughs> it seems like it's answering the answering the question. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, this this is the content now. It, good. So this is the content now of the report, beginning at verse 2. Okay. So let's go on. Jim? Uh, 
thinking what the, this is the Messiah's atonement that is described here. And maybe I'm wrong, I, I was thinking about it yesterday, but the, uh, that first verse led me to Romans chapter 16, so that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Well, indeed. And it's like the church, the prophets, and faith is a gift of God, but it comes from hearing it and being preached. Indeed. So now we're getting the story of the Messiah here. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, I have another reference if someone would get this one for me in Isaiah 11, 1. Uh, so we'll see. Verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 11.1 if somebody has it. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Yeah. So this is that one that comes from the family of Jesse. Basically David, says Isaiah. And uh, then like, like a root out of a dry ground. I mean, he has no former majesty we should look at him and so on and so forth. I mean, if we think particularly about the story of David... Uh, being the descendant of Jesse, well, I mean, he was a kid, and I mean, everybody despised him until he killed Goliath. Then he got some respect, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, this is a common family, and God used them in a great way. Verse three. He was despised and rejected by men. We're talking about this servant of the Lord now a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So, this servant of the Lord eventually, as we know from the New Testament, his itinerant ministry eventually goes into the tank, where Jesus is the most popular man in Israel for a while, but then things change. So, we know this. Um, he was acquainted with grief. Uh, could be. He was a man of pain who knows sickness. Uh, well, maybe. Evidently, this refers to his time on the cross. He became sick due to the beating and scourging and nailing to the cross. But God's going to change the situation around. Yeah. All right. So far, so far on the suffering servant. Anybody, everybody on board here? Verse 4. Well, verse 3. He was despised and we esteemed him not. It's sort of like Job, you know? We thought he was suffering for his own sins. But God turns the table on us in verse 4. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for my transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement of, of His peace uh, that brought peace. So God turns the table on our understanding. I mean, how could it be otherwise? I mean, you know, we see them. We don't see this now, but I, maybe somewhere we could, you know. These people in the Philippines around Easter, some of them still nailed themselves, gave themselves nails to crosses, you know. I mean, 
I don't think any of them died, but it's crazy. I mean, so, but you see a man beaten almost to death and on a cross. I, what would we, I say, well, man, this is awful. I mean, you know, I'm glad it's not me. I, you know, he must have done something horrible. You know? But God is turning the tables on us now. And this is the gospel. It's not for his own sin, which he had none, that Christ is dying. It's for mine. And that's the gospel. That because that's the gospel right there. So here's the gospel uh, in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes we are healed. So that's the gospel right there. So, uh, yes. So let's look up another couple here. Uh, Matthew 8, 14 through 17, if someone would get that one. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Check out those. Just a last one. First Peter 2. 23 through 25. Matthew 8, 14 through 17. David? Um, When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took on our infirmities and carried our diseases. Wow. So, physical healing and divine healing and exorcism, casting out demons, are signs that God has taken our transgressions away. It's a continuing witness that the gospel is true. So, I mean, I I can't say any more about that. Well, you know, I I had this problem in my legs for about five months. Yeah, Katie says it seemed longer than that. <laughs> I'm sure it did. So when I, since I was complaining every day. Your leg is really hurting me. Oh man, it's hurting me <laughs> So I went to physical therapy and the doctor and all. And it, it slightly cured my wound. My wound was cured slightly, but not. So I went on and on. It was hurting, hurting. And finally I said, well, I'm just not going to any more doctors. I mean, I'm just going to have to wait here. And I started praying that God would heal my leg. So every day I'd be out walking my dog. My leg would be hurting. I said, Lord, please, I pray that you would heal my leg. And I said, and I thank you that you're healing my leg. And it went on and on and on. And finally, God healed me. <laughs> but it took a while. Yeah, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make it as a faith healer. I mean, on the platform because some of these things might take a while. You know, I mean, 
So, anyway. Don't the Muslims refer to Jesus as the prophet who healed? I think they do. So, I mean, even, even that way, I mean, the Muslims do re- receive healings. And visions. But they should, uh, should attribute that to Christ. And maybe they do. And it's great. You know, I'm glad that your leg is healed. Oh, I'm glad. But I'm all, right glad. You know, <laughs> I, I've had the same kind of experience, but uh, we all still face the greatest of diseases, which would be death, yeah. which Christ has also healed us from. Well, that's good. <laughs> I think uh, when Jesus, you know, that verse that was read, uh, talked about Jesus healing the sick and so forth. He did that, and, you know, I've heard some people that are arguing against Christianity say, or against theism in, in general, say, you know, well, why doesn't God just take away all pain in the world if, he's, if He really cares about the human race? And the thing is, I mean, if you really stop to think about it, uh, if He did that, that would be actually probably be pretty disastrous yeah. for the human race yeah. uh, because you know at that point you, you you lose you lose you know you start depending on your freedom of choice you also you know you, you learn you lose out on the character that's built from dealing with adversity you know in life and, and problems and so forth it just that's just not the way God always does things well, that's true. you know and but he does sometimes yes. Well, if we had a perfect life, very few people probably would be converted. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah. There's a great play that made into a movie called Death Takes a Holiday. It's kind of thing trap death in a tree so no one is dying. And it just shows how oh, all the pain, the struggle because of it causing it because they, you know, there's no death. The necessity of death. <laughs> no relief. You know, it's the food chain, it's the regeneration of the oil, it's uh, it's population control. I drove past a big old herd of deer. I didn't use the park this morning, you know. We, we have hunting season to keep the deer population down. Yeah. Wow. Two chairs for death. <laughs> yeah, I have, I don't know if this is a, a, a different take or just a different maybe aspect of it. I don't disagree with anything that's being said here, but, but what we're talking about is, you know, in Christ we have healing that's available to us, but I don't think that's what this passage is about. This is an invitation to join Christ in his suffering. And when we read this passage, it's like, this is what being a Christian is. It's going to look like this. Are you sure you want to follow Christ? Oh, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, and that's the answer to the theists yeah. that Chris was talking about. Yeah. God is not that, God's not all that concerned about our physical well-being. He's not. <clears throat> he cares about our spiritual well-being. Right. And we cling to him, like Job, you know, throughout mm-hmm. our rotten circumstances, then we're going to arrive where he wants us to be. Yeah, the world can't comprehend the process of sanctification. They don't, they, they're not, you know, but but we know what's going on. You know, we know that, that God uses adversity to build our faith and to, you know, yeah. 
so any theist aren't they're just not gonna they're not gonna see beyond physical no ailments, that's true you know, and that's true well all right this is all good i don't think i'd quite stated quite so strongly i mean I, I agree with what you're saying i don't yeah. think i would say that god is not concerned with our physical well-being i mean i think well, maybe yeah, in some way he is, right. maybe not, maybe not. but what you say is is right. I mean. But you know, John Baptist raised every born of a woman according to the Lord. Yes. Didn't have that great old man. No, he didn't. Well, he was called to be a desert prophet. <laughs> and some of us are not. So. All right, very good. So this is verse 4. We didn't read 1 Peter 2, 23-25. Somebody has that. Go ahead, Jim. Being born again of the corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower beareth all of the way. But the Word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the Word which by the Gospel is preached unto you. First Peter two twenty three through twenty five. First Peter two. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I read the wrong one? No, you may have read the right one. Is that it? It's a setup. Yeah, twenty three. Yeah, twenty three through twenty five. First Peter. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body in the truth. Well. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Okay. Or ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Okay. So Sorry Peter. Yeah, that's okay. So Peter uses this passage also in Isaiah to make his point there. By his stripes we were healed. All right. Uh, let's go back to Isaiah 53. Now we're on verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that suffering servant, the iniquity of us all. So we know this. Again, this is the gospel as Christ dies for our sin. Uh, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Uh, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. There is a slaughter that has taken place in the house of wisdom, and she is calling to all to come in and participate in this slaughter. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Sheep like we are. Very good. He identifies with us. All right. 
I'm going to read a little here. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. Better yet, she has slaughtered her slaughter. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense or who lacks heart, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So there's a slaughter that's taken place. And now Lady Wisdom calls us to come in and participate in the bread and the wine. Anybody have a thought here? <laughs> well, see, I've, I've got an old note here in my Bible uh, that fathers consider the house yeah. to, to mean flesh. So wisdom has, has put on flesh. Even more wonderful. Yeah. Very good. Because in Corinthians, Christ is identified as the wisdom of God. Anything on the seven pillars? Uh, or they just completion <laughs> of the house. Several spirits of God. Yeah. Okay, that's in Isaiah. Well, anyway, this death of Christ, then we do indeed celebrate week by week here in church by having uh, Eucharist, and we partake of the bread and wine. So we go on, we go on, we go on, we go on. And even if we're not preaching exactly, I mean, I don't know how to put it. I mean, if we're not exactly preaching, uh, okay, this is your day to be saved, we invite you to do that. Maybe we don't do that. But through Lord's Supper every Sunday, indeed, we are preaching the gospel of Christ's uh, death and resurrection on our behalf. So, I mean, it goes on. So that in my mind this is a good way to look at this passage in Proverbs it's a kind of a Eucharistic passage alright let's go back to Isaiah does anybody have anything here well I think, I think it's noteworthy again I don't know anything about translating Hebrew but um, everything he's saying about what happens to this suffering servant yes. is in past tense okay uh, yes. It is a done deal. Okay. Even though it's 700 years in the future. Well, and I think this goes back to your teaching in Genesis that God creates in order to display the sign. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's let's see what else I have here. So from Isaiah then, and from the revelation of God, John the Baptist proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So basically he's working from Isaiah here, John the Baptist. And he does a lot. Verse 8, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Uh, he was stricken for the transgression of my people. So there's a miscarriage of justice occurring here. I mean, as we might say, humanly speaking. Uh, but what we don't know is that 
through that miscarriage of justice, uh, the, the whole death and resurrection of this servant occurred for the sin of his people. So that's what we don't know. So he's, we think it's, I mean, we would think it's, and it was a really weird justice deal if you want to look at it that way. But there was a purpose that God had in it for he died for the sins of his people. Okay. We know this. Uh, verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit found in his mouth. Uh, in verses 8 and 9, uh, we move <coughs> from... Let's see here. Basically being dead to being buried of the Apostles' Creed. He was dead and was buried. So here we go in 8 and 9. He dies and then he's buried. He's with a rich man in his death. We know the story. A rich man buried him in his own tomb. Verse 10. <clears throat> Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When he makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So in verse 10, it, I mean, I, it seems to me that we're moving now into resurrection. It, it seems so to me. Mm -hmm. We've moved from death now, a horrible death. He's made an offering for sin, and then he shall see his seed or his offspring. He shall prolong his days. <clears throat> well, how does a dead man prolong his days? <laughs> through resurrection, I would guess, yeah. So th this is resurrection now. So what we have in Isaiah 53 is we have the suffering of the servant, we have his death, and now we're moving towards resurrection. So this is all in Isaiah 53. Um, all right. Um, yeah. What kind of shepherd would it be that is able to, in a sense, become one of the sheep and really? do life through their lives. You know, I mean, that would be an unbelievable kind of shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> the sheep would be the best care they could possibly be in. Yeah. <clears throat> well, verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. Again, I think we're talking about resurrection. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, for he shall bear their iniquities. Uh, again, many, you know, are coming in. <clears throat> many are counted righteous because of him. And verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death <clears throat> and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, it makes intercession for the transgressors. If someone would, we'll finish here. If someone would look up Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we'll read that. Say 25? Yes, please, Craig. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I really love that verse. Particularly, he always lives to make intercession for me and for you. He's always living. 
to me, this is a proof of the bodily resurrection of Christ. If we were talking about God, it would be useless to say that God always lives because that, I mean, that would be true by definition since God is eternal. I mean, why, why add useless information to what I already know? I mean, I know that God is eternal, so why are you telling me God is eternal? It's talking about the Son of God. <clears throat> the Son of God ever lives to make intercession for the saints. <clears throat> it's giving us information. We thought that the Son of God was dead. And we thought that His body was still on the ground. But surprise, His real body is in heaven. And in that real body, He is continuing to make intercession for me. He's praying for me. So, I, I love that in Hebrews. And it coincides here, He bore the sin of many, and He makes intercession for the transgressors. So, Hebrews is picking up on that. As Job says, we need somebody who can put his hand on God's shoulder and on my shoulder. A mediator. All right. Well, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening, and we'll continue here next week.